everyone and welcome back to the Football Trigger podcast. My name is Thomas Durning and today I'm joined by my co-host Pierce McLaughlin. Hello Pierce. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing well. So on today's podcast we will be reacting to last weekend's Rangers versus Celtic match, reacting to Barcelona winning La Liga, previewing this weekend's uh, this week's Champions League matches and at the end of the podcast Pierce will be giving a rundown of all the latest Asian football news. So coming up next, we will be reacting to last weekend's Rangers versus Celtic match. So on Saturday, the 13th of May, Rangers defeated Celtic 3-0 in the final Glasgow derby of the season. So although the league um, is already decided, this means that this was Rangers' first win over Celtic this season. So Pierce, what was your reaction to this result? Um, I th- I think it was one I kind of expected before before the game even started. Um, because I watched the, like the press conference um from Ange Postecoglou the the day before, and he seemed a bit far far too relaxed. And when you get that message across to your players that your manager's relaxed before what probably the biggest derby game in world football. Um and obviously New Rangers were right up right up for it because Michael Beale want, wanted to to make sure he got a win over Celtic to get that monkey off his back. Um, because obviously it'd been nearly I think it's like three or four attempts that he hadn't won a game. Um, but now Rangers are straight at the blocks and then Celtic just never got going. Um, and I felt as if Celtic you look at. Obviously, you kind of, from their perspective, it was a dead rubber, but for the fans in um, across the world, it's, it's not a dead rubber. These games mean everything. And I just felt as if, when you looked at the lineups as well, the back four of Celtic, three, the back four, are like the backup options, you would say. Because Kobayashi, Burnaby, Ralston aren't your normal back four. It's usually Curtis Vickers, Starfield, Greg Taylor, and uh, Johnson at right back, um, but regardless, still had a lot of experience pulling that part. Callum McGregor, Rio Tati, Matt O'Reilly, um, and I just I felt as if like from the Celtic perspective that a lot of the fringe players that you think oh they're great squad players, maybe not maybe they're not cut out for starting week in week out, and that's probably why Ange has. Um, a preferred lineup. It doesn't really rotate that too often, because obviously we t- touched on it last week in the podcast that Thunbull and um, Abad had twenty five sub appearances this season, but not many starts because when they do, they usually don't perform. And from the Rangers' perspective, I think it will give the fans real hope and optimism uh, going into next season that they can maybe push on with a few additions. Um, and obviously. I think it's like the, they, that's what Rangers need. Rangers need that like, physicality, and obviously they had all the, the, the supporters behind them as well, so that kind of helped as well. But um, like I said, they, they, they probably need to do it when it's the pressure's turned up full volume. Um, but it's slightly turned down for Celtic's perspective, but Rangers took full advantage and they deserved a 3 0 win, and uh, Celtic never looked to sift a good score, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, first of all, uh, it was probably deserved by Rangers. They totally deserved to win the game. They were much better for the 90 minutes. Um, 
even before the match, I like although the title's already decided and Celtic have already won it, I knew that Rangers would would be desperate to win that game because obviously, you know, they haven't won against Celtic all season. It's been a really disappointing season for them. They're at home, so in front of all their fans. So I knew they would they would be really, really up for it. And like I knew Celtic would make changes, but like as you said, before the game started, when I saw the lineup from Celtic, I kinda knew that this could be a bit of a tough a tough afternoon for them. Um and you know, as expected, Rangers came out the blocks, you know, they they, they they were really pushing for that goal. They got that that goal in the first ten minutes of the match. And I just felt when that first goal went in, you know, after the first goal went in, Celtic kinda kept the ball that you know, they they, they kinda grew into the game. Um, you know, thinking that, you know, there could be there could be something they could get a goal back. And then Celtic Rangers got their second goal. And I just felt after that, you know, the game, Celtic kind of, you know, they kind of chucked it mentally. You know, I, I think you could see from the reaction that, you know, I don't think they had enough in them to get the game back. And, um, you know, Rangers fully deserved it. Uh, just touching on, obviously, the, the, the changes that Ange made, Postacoglu made to the, the lineup. And, you know, there was Bernabe that came in for Taylor and Kobayashi, he started. And, you know, these kind of first two examples, you know, I don't think they they really took their chance. And, you know, it's a tough game for them, obviously, going to a place like Ibrox. You know, it's a a really hostile place, but, you know, I don't think they really took their chance. Um, And, you know, there there was players there that, you know, started... That the first match in this derby, and you know it 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 didn't really happen for them, um. So fully deserved by Rangers, they totally deserved it, um. So I was going to ask you what impressed you most about Rangers, and where did you think it went wrong for Celtic at the weekend? For Rangers, I think what impressed me was the high intensity from midfield, and they've got. Runners all over the place, um, and it's just it's just that they just looked a lot sharper than they had in previous games, and looked, I don't think they feared Celtic. I think they they smelt blood as soon as we got that early goal, and then they just went for it, and they 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 ran it comfortable three 0 winners. Um, obviously they seen Celtic maybe a bit of wounded animal, but but different story when like Carter Vickers at the back. And obviously the, the, the full back four. But regardless, that midfield is probably one of the strongest midfields Celtic can actually field. Um so it's only maybe like a few minor changes in the attack to front of secure Gozel, but still um I thought Campbell impressed me. I thought he was lively. He looked as if he just had a point to prove. Um and every time he went forward he looked he looked lively and as if he could score. Um, and I think you can probably see Rangers try to bleed in the new blood for next season. Obviously, they dropped Al McGregor as well. Um, and I think, obviously, I don't, don't. I think they're trying to win out like many of us in Kent. So they're trying to like, obviously get players back, Lahaji back as well, and stuff like that as well. So I think it's impressive like, in terms of the next season and when for Rangers if they get the recruitment right but that's all down to they getting the recruitment right and getting some big wages off the wage bill as well um, but for Celtic what disappointed me the most with Celtic was 
it's some points they're architects of their own downfall. Like some you've seen the the first goal, for example, Yuki Kobayashi just unaware of Cantwell is in terms of like John Lundstrom, it's a short fedged box. Joe Hart pushing it back into a dangerous area, which is a goalkeeper, and it's been his goalkeeper such as himself. He should never be doing, but as a defensive unit, you should always be try be level with your defensive partner. But he was like probably two or three years behind and just played everyone on side and just unaware. And that's just schoolboy errors, to be honest. And then obviously the, the third goal for Sakala, someone like Callum McGregor, who's very experienced, who's been so consistent this season for club and country. Um, him and Starfield both been consistent, to be honest, both dilly-dallied in the ball and then just gifted Rangers a goal. And you don't need to gift Rangers anything because although they have been poor in these fixtures this season, it has been slim margins. And uh, the fact is, uh, when you gift them a goal, it's just... It's just schoolboy, to be honest. Um, but that's what I would, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the game just came came down to one simple, you know, word, just energy. Energy. I just, I just felt Rangers. Um, you know, they they, they had, they, you know, they had so much energy in the game. You know, they, they were really pressing well. They pressed high up the pitch. You know, every time Celtic, one Celtic player had the ball, there was three, four. Rangers players surrounding the ball, trying to win it back high up the pitch. There was lots of runners. Um, one thing about Rangers that I kind of noticed was that a lot of the players, well, the team that started, it kind of looked like a team that were going to be there next season. So, for example, the goalkeeper, um, the forward line with Matondo, Sakala and uh, Cantwell, um, the midfield as well, and, and uh, Yilmaz at left back who started. You know, a lot of these players will be here next season. And it just it just kind of to me it just kind of looked like you know they were they were there to make a a point that you know next season you know we're here we're going to we're going to do everything we can to to make next season a better season um and I just felt the first time this season from Rangers I just felt that their energy was different you know they're much more positive uh and you know uh that that, that was a big thing for me. And for Celtic, it was just a lack of energy, in my opinion. I just felt that the game, they kind of just let the game drift. You know, there was like, they kind of had that mentality of it doesn't really matter. So they just kind of let the game drift. Um, there was no real intensity. And uh, especially the second half, didn't really do anything. You know, it wasn't really, there was no real, there was no real part to play. It kind of just kind of let the game, kind of let the game go. And yeah, energy. I just feel the big thing at the weekend was energy between the both both the teams. And yeah, once again, totally deserved, totally deserved win for Rangers. Um, so we will now move on to discussing Barcelona winning the La Liga title. So on Sunday, the fourteenth of May, Barcelona defeated Espanyol four two, which meant that Barcelona won the title for the first time in four years. So Pierce, what was your reaction to Barcelona winning the title? Um, I think that it was a thorough deserved to be the most consistent side in La Liga this season. There was a point where Real Madrid at the start of the season um, absolutely destroyed Barcelona at the Bernabeu, and they were I think maybe six, seven points clear. And since then, Real Madrid were dropping points needlessly, and Barcelona were just slowly just picking up, picking up, picking up, and then they just went on a run. Well. 
they get dumped out of the cup, uh, dumped out of Europe, surprisingly. But domestically, they've been so consistent and they've just been like peerless at times, to be honest. Like, the defence is so solid, they concede the least goals. And up front, they're just, they're just so exciting to watch when you've got players like Usman Dembele, Rafinha, Lewandowski, Ansu Fati, um, Ferran Torres, Gavi, Pedri, Young. The, the list goes on. Like, they've got so many options and from middle to front. And the fact is um, that they, they thoroughly deserve to be champions. And uh, it's been a long time coming. And you can finally see that things are starting to click under Xavi. And um, you can see he's going to be a top-class manager. I think next season for him, it's just about um, maybe kicking on in Europe. Because I think in Europe, he's had some disappointing results. Um, especially the group stage at Champions League. That's something that just doesn't happen at Barcelona, because Barcelona, let's be honest, there's, as a league club, uh, it's up there with Real Madrid, but Real Madrid obviously have that kind of, although they've been doing in domestic, in Europe, they've been pretty, pretty consistent. Um, and that's that's been the difference this season, I think, but Barcelona just been so consistent this season, and the fact is to win it, on the, uh, to confirm champions against your greatest rivals, um, it's pretty mad to be honest. Mm-hmm. No, um, you know everything you said, Freud deserved, and um, you know they've they've kind of run away with it. You know this season, you know it's been kind of champions elect for quite a while now. Um, you know, Xavi is, you know, well, let's be honest, it's been a tough few years for Barca. You know. What Messi losing Messi, um, you know, champ the, the the European record's been really bad, um, but as you said, Xavi's you know he's really turned it around at Barcelona. You know they they, they seem to be kind of getting back to the way that they, they 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 always played. You know you can see that that style of play that Xavi was used to when he was at Barcelona. He's kind of implementing it at Barca now, um, uh, you know. But no, it's fully deserved. Um, you you touched on it about their defensive record. I mean, the defensive record is it's insane. I mean, it's been absolutely amazing all season. And they've hardly conceded. I think away at, at home at the new camp, I think they've hardly conceded any goals. And um, I'm sure they've only conceded a handful of goals from open play at home, which is I mean that that's just amazing. And you know, you don't the the best way to win a title. Is by having a good defence, and Barca have shown that you know, you know that they've been the prime example. You know, defensively they've been rock solid all season. You know that the the forward players have been really good. Um, you know, Rafinha's been really impressive since he joined last summer. Um, you know, Lewandowski he's he's done he's done a good job since he's joined. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously we we heard last week or this week that Sergio Busquets. Is leaving, um. So that's a really good send off for him because he's been an unbelievable player for Barca in his time, um. So no, fully deserved. Uh, you know, Real Madrid. I mean, we don't all know who Real Madrid are, how good Real Madrid are, but they seem to, have, uh, quite for quite a while now. I think they've kind of switched off in the league and just said, right, we'll just we'll just concentrate in the Champions League now. So I think that's kind of taking the pressure off. A bit off of Barca, you know the fact that they, I think they've kind of known that Real Madrid haven't really pushed it in the league, and um, no, but really impressive, 
from Barca. Um, fully deserved the title. Um, so what what do you think is next for Barca? What do you think next season they look at? What do you think they need to do? And where do you think they need to uh, where they need to improve? Well, they're going to they're going to um, have a I think they're going to have another major overhaul in players in terms of I think because they're still they're not out of the financial difficulty in terms of the wages expenditure. They still need to cut down wages. They're also going to lose big wages in Sergio Busquets, an iconic member of that Barcelona team. And that's now the, the last mem- last surviving member gone of Pep Guardiola's side that won the Champions League in uh, 2011. Um, but that's that's a major void uh, to fill. And also I think there are talks about maybe trying to get rid of Jordi Alba as well. Maybe... Obviously, try to bring Messi back, but how they're going to do that, we don't know. So they'll, they'll still try. They'll probably try to sell some assets that they've got, because if you can get Lionel Messi back with the team he's got, with the young blood coming through, um, some exciting times because Barcelona under Xavi, even though they have been quite, let's be honest, terrible in Europe, but fantastic this season in La Liga. Yes, he's continued to bleed in new players because you've got Balde at left back who's just displaced Jordi Elba, who's a club legend and probably one of the best left backs in Barcelona's history. Um, players like that, and there was, I think it was a 16 year old that made a debut re- fairly recently as well. Can't remember his name, but he, he was quite exciting young winger as well. And you've got Ansu Fati, so they've got a lot of young talent, young assets that have came through La Masia at a time that Barcelona were struggling and under Bartimeu when they were spending obscene amount of money that's kind of put them in this kind of hot water. They were, they were stopping producing players, you know? Um, and now they're starting to produce players, I think more out of necessity, but the fact is they're actually good enough to make an impact on the team. You look at some of the best players, you probably say the two best players probably, like you're talking about Gavi and Pedri, like these two guys are probably good in most teams starting 11s around world football. Um, but um, I think next season would be I think no did will come back next season in terms of La Liga it won't be this easy because like you say I think it's probably from January February onwards it's been it's pretty much a formality that Barca just picked up results uh, Real Madrid uh, were just kind of winning losing winning losing winning drawing it's like inconsistent um, because obviously they're so focused on the Champions League Um. But as you've seen in one-off games, Real Madrid can beat Barcelona. They've done it in the Copa de Rey where they shot everyone, you know. Um, and, but that's not happened to Barcelona because they have been fantastic defensively and that was a shot across, across the world because uh, Real Madrid at that time weren't playing great. But that just shows you they can turn it on any time. But I think next season for Barcelona to improve will be improve their squad and I think Make a real stamp in uh, the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, my first thought about where they need to improve is Champions League. Um, you know, it's been really disappointing for them in the Champions League the last few years. Um, so they need to kind of get back to showing, you know, the whole Europe that they're a, they're a force to be reckoned with, and even try. They probably won't win it next season in the Champions League, but even try and show that they are capable of winning it. Um, so that that's where I think they need to improve. But um, you know, you were touching there on the on the the youth players that are coming through. I mean, 
that that's that's one thing from Xavi that you really have to you really have to praise. You know that they've kind of they've kind of got that back in terms of bleeding in players from the 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 the, the famous academy that they've got. Um, you know they kind of lost that. They kind of started going a different way the last few years in terms of spending big money, but Xavi seems to have brought that back, which is you know really good to see. Um, you know it could be exciting for Barca next season with Messi. Potentially, it look it kind of looks like that he's going to return because I think it's I think it's kind of all but confirmed that he's going to be leaving PSG in the summer. So I think uh, him come back to Barcelona does look likely. You know I think Busquets is part. Partly to do with that, I think, because Busquets is leaving, um, you know, they, they can get his uh, wage bill off the, off the, you know, get his wage bill off, and you know, kind of come up with a plan to, to show the Liga that they can afford for Messi to come back, and I think everyone wants to see that. That'd be amazing to see, uh, Messi coming back to Barca and hopefully, you know, retiring at the club that everybody knows him for. So, um, you know, it, no, it's good times for Barca coming up. Um, you know, obviously got their, uh, got their title back, and um, you know, a lot of exciting young players coming through, and obviously with the potential return of Messi. So, uh, no, it's looking really positive for Barca at the moment. Um, so we will now move on to discussing this week's Champions League semi-final matches. So last week, the results of the first leg of the Champions League semi-final matches last week where Real Madrid won, Man City won, and AC Milan nil, Inter Milan 2. So um, we'll start off with discussing the AC Milan versus Inter Milan match. So Pierce, what was your reaction to the first leg, and how do you think the second leg will play out? I was shocked because um, I did call what AC Milan, because although they both share the stadium, they were, had the allocation of the more fans in the stadium because they were the home side for that for the t- first leg and I thought Inter Milan were absolutely outstanding I thought it was a very professional performance and they created chance after chance it could have been more um, we got the two early goals and kind of sat on the lead and they never looked troubled in any any shape or form at the back and with them winning 2-0 I think that might be a, t- a bit too much for Aceman. And with Aceman losing at the weekend as well, 2-0 to Monza, uh, and then having to apologise to the fans, they, they've been they've been sh- nothing short of woeful since the return of the World Cup in Serie A. Um, apart from a few decent results here and there, somewhat like the to be honest, in a way. Um, they're in the semi-final of the Champions League on merit, but I do think this second leg is... It'll be an absolute blockbuster. I think they'll be high scoring. Both sides will score. I think, although Inter Milan will have more fans, slightly more fans in the stadium, uh, I don't really think that'll be an, an, a major aspect in the in the tie. But I do think that um, Inter Milan will score first and then Ace Man have just got nothing to lose. Throw the kitchen sink at it. I think they'll get two goals and then I think Inter will just hit them on the break at towards the end and I think it was a 2-2 draw with I think Inter going through 4-2 in the aggregate to the Champions League final um, for the first time since they won it back in 2010 under Jose Mourinho but I do think Inter just look a bit more streetwise and you're starting to see players like Romelu Lukaku in form again 
Um, in the midfield, I just think there's um, just a really, really solid midfield in terms of Brozovic, Hakan Chonoglu and uh, Nico Barella. I just, I just think that um, Inter will just have a bit too much. And obviously, East Man just hitting, hitting out of form at the wrong time for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just briefly um, discussing the first leg. I think the first leg was all about the start of the match. In the first leg, you know, AC Milan started that match. They were they were absolutely terrible. You know, they conceded two very early goals, and it could have been more than that. It could have been about four, four goals in the first twenty minutes for Inter Milan. Um, you know, AC Milan got off to such a bad start. Um, you know, they they did improve as the match went on, but the damage was already done. Um, you know, two 0 into Milan, it's that's a great scoreline, especially going back to the stadium that they already played at last week. Um, you know, uh, I, I I can't see I can't see Simon turning that around. You know, as you said, they got beat at the weekend against um they, they got beat the weekend. A really poor result. They don't seem to be in a good place at the moment. Uh, into Milan, you know, they seem to have kind of picked up form. Um, and yeah, I I just can't see it. I just think number one. Or have too much for AC Milan. I just think defensively, BC Milan at the moment are just are really poor. I just don't think they're capable of, you know, not con- keep, uh, keeping a clean sheet. Um, so yeah, no, I I, I think in Milan, um, I'd be really shocked. If, I mean, AC Milan, are, it's, I mean, they're capable of doing it. They can do it, but I, I just can't see it. I think in Milan, two 0 is a really good scoreline, and yeah, I think they'll, I think they'll go to the Champions League final. Um. So we'll now discuss the other semi-final, which is between Real Madrid and Man City. So the last week, the the first leg ended one-one. So Pierce, what was your reaction to the first leg, and how do you think the second leg will play out? Um, I think I'm a bit more open. I think both sides were a bit pragmatic. Two wonder goals, to be honest. What first one from Freshy Junior, um, and then also Kevin De Bruyne. Both both get that that quality in them, because it's un, un it's unlike Vesh Junior to pick up pockets in the middle of the park. Usually he's out wide, and then he's took one touch out his feet and just rocked it right in the top corner. No quite top corner, but he rocked it. Decent finish. You'd expect maybe Courtois to save that pass. I was touched on last week in the podcast. I think Courtois saves that, but Ederson just isn't as big, and his commanding his goal. And uh, De Bruyne just showed his quality, but I do think both sides, um, on the balance of play with his chance created, I do think it was a fair result in the end. I think Man City probably started the better side in the first half, and then I think in the second half, Real Madrid edged it because the first half it was I think it was a statistic that Real Madrid did thirty two percent possession in the first half with one shot, and he scored it. So that was the difference. Real Madrid are happy to concede possession. Although at that time, Man City didn't really create anything because obviously we touched on that Rudiger was starting ahead of Militao because he was suspended for the first leg and he absolutely man-marked early hand at the game. So the players like your Jack Grealish, your, um, your Kevin De Bruyne and, and Bernardo Silva were the mo- most creative aspects in the team. Um, and basically just kind of nullified Erlen Haaland to me so I just had maybe Scott Carson up front <laughs> because the fact is like Militao just got stopped to him because most most defences this season have just not been able to cope with a guy that scored 50 goals this season 
but he just stopped him like glue and just never let him move. Um, and it worked. And it been interesting to see though in the second leg though because I think it might it will be a different ball game completely. Um, and I, and obviously we all did well. Uh, have Malatal back as well. Interested to see how they shape up in terms of formation and personnel. And obviously, I th- Man City rested a lot of players at the weekend, so did Real Madrid. So both will be fully fit, ready to go. And I do think they're an absolute blockbuster. I would edge slightly towards Real Madrid um, just because of that experience. But you can never question like, the quality Man City have. And you wouldn't be surprised if they went on and progressed to the final as well because they've got that quality to do it with their own fans behind them. Um, but it's one of the ones that's like a 50-50 call. It's like too hard to call. Like if you if you only did lost the first leg, you'd say Man City most likely in the final, but I think the secret is a draw and both sides look pretty fairly well matched. And you'd expect, like we said last week's podcast, um, this should be the final match, but Unfortunately, as a semi final, one of the big boys has to go out. Um, but it's too tough to call it. I would say, I would, I would say, you know, just slightly edge it, but I'd, I'd just too, too, too tough to call. Two fantastic sides that's going to be an entertaining match. Yep. Um, first leg, just touching on the first leg, it was it was such a good match, brilliant match to watch. Um, two quality teams, um, two amazing goals. Uh, Real Madrid's first goal, um, Vinicius, what a finish that was, and same with De Bruyne. Two amazing goals. Um, you know, uh, I felt Man City were better in the first half, second half, I felt Real Madrid were better. Um, but 1-1, I mean, it sets up to be an absolute amazing second leg. Um, I, I agree with you, it's going to be so open. It'll be a very open match, you know, to- both teams will go for it. Um. I mean, it's so hard to call because they're, they're, they're two amazing teams. Um, if I if I had to if I had to choose, I'd say Man City just based on the quality, just just based on, just based on the quality they've got, and also in the moment they're in. You know, you know that you know they, they'll be not they they'll be on such a high, obviously with Arsenal kind of uh, losing, and which means Man City are only one win away from winning the title. You know, they'll be such. In good confidence, um, and you know, although Erling Haaland was really quiet last week, he didn't get into the game at all. You know, he he is still such a threat, and you know he can turn up when he wants to. And so I'll say Man City will edge the game and probably get to the final, but I'll, I'll absolutely never rule out Real Madrid. You know, they're more than capable; they've got the quality. Um, but you know, it, it's going to be a bright match. I can't wait for it. Um, and you know. Really exciting, really exciting second leg. Um, so for the final part of the show, Pierce will now give his Asian football roundup. Yeah, so we're going to kick off with the Japanese football news. So on Friday, um, there was a match between FC Tokyo where they defeated uh, Kawasaki from Tally 2-1. Uh, I've done a match report of that. It's on the Football Trugio website. On Saturday, we had Vassel Kobe beating San Fretchi Hiroshima 2-0. Uh, Sean and Belmere beat Haikaro, uh, lost two. Ha- Sean and Belmere two, Haikaro Sapporo four. Um, Cashio Racial nil, Yokama FC one. And then on Sunday we had um, Alberts Nagata two, Yokama F Mariners one, uh, Cashio Antlers two, Nagoya Grampus nil, uh, Kyoto Sanga nil, Sedes Osaka one. 
Uh, Avispa Fukuoka, nil. Sagan Tuso, nil. Uh, Urare Diamonds, fresh off their um, UEFA uh, Asian Champions League victory, back in league duty, beating Gambo Saka 3-1. So it's leaving the table looking uh, pretty, pretty interested at the top of the table. Vassell Kobe, 13 games, 29 points. Uh, you've got Jokas Marinos behind them on 24. Then third and fourth place, you've got Nagoi Grampus and Sinfetje Roshma. All uh, both on 23 points, but with some future rush, only played 12 games. And down at the bottom of the table, you've got Shona Belmere in 15th, played 12 games, got 11 points. Kashiri, so 16th place with 11 points after 13 matches. Uh, and then Yokama FC, 9 points in 17th, and then Gambo Saka at the foot of the table on 7 points. In terms of the Canadian League, so that kicked off on Saturday. So Polang Sailors beating uh, Dejan Hana Citizen 3-2. Gwangju losing 2-0 to Daegu FC. Uh, Gangwon losing 2-0 to Suwon Samsung Blue Wings. Uh, and then on Sunday we had Ulsan Hyundai 3, FC Sail 2. Um, Incheon United 0, Jumbut Hyundai Motors 0. And then it rounded off with Suwon FC 0, Jeju United 5. So at the top of the table you had Ulsan Hyundai 13th uh, point, 13 games played, 34 points and they're kind of creating a gap and obviously they played um, FC Seoul at the weekend there and um, managed to defeat them and putting more distance between them and the rest of the pack. So the FC Seoul second, 23 points, Jedi United third with 23 points and Pohang Steelers fourth with 23 points after 13 matches all played. So it's kind of, you can see the gap there between the top and the second kind of place teams fighting for that uh, second spot. And down at the foot of the table, we've got 10th place, Inch United, 13 games played, 13 points, Gangwon in 11th with 10 points, and then at the foot of the table, Suwon, Samson Blue Wins with 8 points. Um, a bit of breaking news as well, Son, Son Jun Ho, a South Korean midfielder based in China, is under investigation by the Chinese police for unspecified reasons. The South Korean embassy in China, Beijing, mentioned on Monday. Um, it wasn't immediately clear whether Son, um, who plays for Shandong Taishan FC in the Chinese Super League, had been investigated as a witness or a suspect in the case, but Chinese media have reported that Son and other Shandong players have been questioned about match-fixing allegations surrounding their head coach, Hao Wei. Son, 31, has been playing for Shandong since 2020-21, a season after winning MVP in the top South Korean league, uh, K-League 1, under J- Jumbo Hyundai Motors. Uh, the midfielder's earned 20 caps for South Korea and has played, three, and played in three of the four uh, matches at the FIFA World Cup in Qatar last year. And that's all your Asian football news. Thank you, Pierce. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Football Sugar podcast. This podcast will be available to listen to on the Football Trigger YouTube channel and also the Football Trigger website. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Bye-bye.